Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. to give him glory and he created a perfect place for them a place that reflected his glory and he gave them everything that they could need or want for happiness but they listened to God's enemy they didn't really believe God's gift to them were enough so they turned their backs on God and they lost their perfect place to live in their perfect friendship with God Now they could see pain and futility and death in their future. Scripture says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he informed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among them from the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God replied, Well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat of? man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. To Adam he said, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Therefore sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Father, we recognize this in our own life. For many of us before were fools, dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins. And we too followed the course of this world, following the prince of the air, spirit of the age. Father, as we look around, there are many of our family, our friends, our co-workers, and our neighbors who are still hiding from you. And I pray during this season, as we prepare to rejoice and give you glory in Easter, that you would impress our hearts with the need to share the gospel to share with them that you are seeking them out, 
do not have to live with this life of pain and futility, but there is a hope. Share with us this morning that hope. Let us rejoice. Again, in all God's people said, Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, You are the blessed one who deserves all praise, honor, and glory. Your majesty fills the sky. You have blessed us beyond all measure. Our minds cannot comprehend the vastness of your presence nor the deepness of your love for us. We would pray this morning that you would strengthen us in our battle with sin and impress upon us the need to think biblically, to have a biblical worldview. We live in a world in which a biblical worldview is increasingly no longer valued. They proclaim to seek out a better world, and many times we claim your words as their own, yet they deny the existence and power of the one who created it all. Let us not be tempted to disengage from the world, but Father, may we lovingly confront error wherever we may find it. Send your Holy Spirit to change the hearts of those who hear your life-changing message, the gospel. Let us embrace your word with all of our hearts and our minds. Let us not be ashamed of your precious gospel, for in it is the power of salvation to all who believe. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, who was obedient to the point of death, May we praise his name. And all of God's people said, amen. Here we are, 25. That's the big number today. We're on message 25 of Galatians. It'll be our last as we've been working through that almost a half a year now. We're in Galatians chapter 6. But there is not a lot of monitor things for you today. There's just going to be a kind of a final overview as we pass over Galatians. There's some things that I want to remind us in a matter of review. We want to focus again and then give you some instructions as if Paul were to give us some today as he speaks to the Galatians to us. So we're going to ask you to open your book to the book of Galatians and we're going to kind of go through some different types of verses. But I want to share with you how wonderful it's been. 25 messages and next week we start our series in the letter of James. So we're going to get the book in here to Galatians. The Galatians derive its title from the region of Asia Minor, or what you and I know of Turkey today, modern Turkey, where the church's address were located. It's only, only one of Paul's letters that is specifically addressed to churches in more than one city. Those churches were Antioch, Iconium, uh, Lystra, and Derbe. And for background, you can go to Acts chapter 13 and 14 and see his wonderful ministry in those cities. In it, we get a lot of different things about his background that we don't find from the book of Acts, such as his three-year stay in Arabia, his 15-day stay with Peter after his stay in Arabia, his trip to Jerusalem Consul, and then his, his confrontation with Peter. What we've found as we've gone through this book is that Peter is engaged in a battle, and it's a battle for the gospel. He's writing to counter the false teachings of the Judaizers who were undermining the central New Testament doctrine of justification by faith through grace alone. The Judaizers were Jews 
who were spreading the dangerous teaching that Gentiles first must become proselytes and then submit to the law of Moses before they could become Christians. So they were adding to the gospel, changing it, distorting it. And shocked by the Galatians' openness to this heresy, Paul wrote this letter to defend justification by faith and to warn the churches of the dire consequences they face in abandoning this essential doctrine. Galatians here is the only letter, which is interesting, that does not contain a commendation for its readers. And this is obviously uh, where he feels about confronting the error and the deflection of the doctrine of justification. Again, the central theme of Galatians, which is very similar to a larger letter to Rome, is justification by faith. Paul defends that doctrine because it's the heart of the gospel. And what Paul is teaching is if you get justification wrong, if you get the gospel wrong, you miss the heart of Scripture. He's also defending his position as an apostle. As these false teachers are finding that the way that they can absurd their authority is to undermine Paul and his man and his message and his ministry. And they try to undermine his credibility. The importance of that phrase, justification by faith alone through grace alone, is very dear to Paul, as it should be to the Galatians. And I should say also to us today. Galatian Paul is answering the question that is echoed throughout history. How can a person stand before a holy God without being condemned? How can one stand before God and be made right? And E.E., they have a question. There's two of them. But the second question goes something to this. If you were to stand before God in the heaven, and He were to say to you, why should I let you in? What would your question, what would your answer be? For many, it would say, well, I, I did good works. I went to church, I read my Bible, I gave, I did the sacraments, I attended Mass, I fed the poor, I helped the homeless, I gave to charities. What Paul has been expressing is that all of those answers fall short. For you and I can never stand before a holy God and be righteous before Him. Scripture tells us that all of our righteousness, all of our good deeds... No matter how many we do or how well-intentioned they are, all fall short. And he says they're like filthy rags in which God looks at them and says, sorry, not good enough. And that's the bad news. And so we need to understand, Paul answers, that it's only through the death of Christ and through His work on the cross can anyone ever stand before God and he declare, enter in to my joy? Twice in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul expressed how important this gospel was. When he said, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then later in the letter, he would go on to say, for I delivered to you what was first important. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. 
And at the same time, he understood that even the gospel, with its very simple message and its life-changing power, would not be accepted by everyone. For he writes in Corinthians, we preach Christ crucified. However, preaching Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Jews. To them to be crucified, that's a criminal. We could never accept someone who is crucified as our Messiah, as our Savior. But it was folly to the Gentiles and to us in regard. How could we ever think of that? That does not make sense. But he goes to those who are called both Jew and Gentile. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom. So the question some of you may be asking, maybe you've asked this and maybe it's been answered, but why is this such a big issue? What does it matter that we are saved by faith? Is that not a Lutheran doctrine? I mean, isn't that why he nailed the 99 Thesis? Isn't that something they did back in the 1500s when they fought the Protestant and the Roman Catholicism, about how one is made right with God? Hasn't that been settled? Why do we even need to understand justification? That's just another big Bible term that people use to justify themselves or to make themselves seem more holy. Why isn't our work not enough? Can we not appease God through loving others and doing good? Is that not the message of Jesus? thing is, these questions are still debated today. And distortion of the true gospel continues in many churches and many ministries. And we spent uh, this half year looking at those. And if you go to our website, you can get them to catch up. But what you and I need to understand in this book and letter to Galatians, justification is central to the heart of the gospel. It answers the question, how can we stand before a holy God? Is the doctrine of justification by faith alone really something that you and I need to argue about and debate and fight over? The answer is yes. For it's only through understanding this doctrine that we truly understand our relationship with God. Thomas Schreiner, who is a professor at Southern Baptist Seminary, writes that in Galatians we see the centrality of justification in the cross and the gospel which helps us to understand the depths of human sin and the height of God's love. Earlier in our Lent reading, we, we shared the depths of man's sin, where we rejected God, where we re rebelled against God. The Bible tells us that we are actually disobedient children, and he actually says that we're enemies and we're children of wrath. And people really don't want to hear that about God. God is loving God is kind, yet the Bible says that we are the objects of His wrath. And His patience, He says, will one day wear thin, and we will all die and stand before the judgment day. The letter to Galatians here is deep and rich in theology. Theology is simply the study of God. Paul believes that this battle is important. For if we are, we must be theologically informed in our thinking and living. We must understand the gospel and its implications in our life. True doctrine is important in order to combat error and for you and I to recognize false teaching in the churches. John Calvin writes that the pastor ought to have two voices. One for gathering the sheep and another for warding off and driving away wolves 
and thieves. The scripture supplies him with the means of doing both. And unfortunately, many churches, the pastors, have neglected both. And so you and I are called through this letter of Galatians once again to galley, gather, to rally around the centrality of the Gospels. Father, I pray that you just work in our hearts. Lord, we've done the, the due diligence of reading through this letter, of, 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 of trying to learn it and understand it and apply it to our lives. And we pray now as we finish up this letter that it be true in our lives. Let us understand it more. Lord, let us understand what your word has for us. May we apply it. And Lord, may we learn to love the gospel as Paul loved the gospel. For the gospel is the good news of salvation. We pray this in your name. Amen. Paul has been teaching that with the death and resurrection of Christ, for you and I look back at that 2,000 years ago, that a new age has appeared. The Mosaic Law, what we think of the Ten Commandments or the 613 commandments of the old Torah, has passed away as the Spirit of God arrives now in the heart of His children. The mark of a true Son of God is not circumcision and obeying the Mosaic Law, but of the indwelling Spirit, not works of law, not trying to produce our own righteousness, but it's the love of Christ. This morning I'm indebted to the work of Mark Dever, who's the pastor of Capitol Hills Baptist Church. In his book, The Message of the New Testament, he outlines Galatians. And so we're going to share a little bit of that today, for he's done the hard plowing work, and I believe it's good to share what someone else has plowed, is why is this important? What's the importance of the gospel? The gospel is the good news. And what Paul is sharing here is you and I need to do battle, be ready to, to do the battle for the gospel, because number one, the gospel, as you see, is divine. The gospel is divine. The source of the gospel is God. And it's distributed through proposition. In other words, it's through truth. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 1. And look at verse 11. And we're just going to page our way through there as we remember and review some things that we've learned and just try to plant them in deep before we go to James. Galatians chapter 1, he says in verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. There's something different about this word. He says, for I did not receive it from any man. Peter, Matthew, John, James, the disciples did not teach me this word, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is I had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ himself who laid out the gospel perfectly for me. We have to understand that. And it's true. Paul would not be the first man who says, I've had a supernatural revelation from God. We could think of Muhammad who would say some. Joseph Smith would say so. Uh, many other people throughout. I was just reading of one lady today uh, that also had visions and prophecies. And sometimes, many times, we can dismiss them, but we have to at least read them and understand. The Bible says the source of the gospel is not from some man. It's not my own opinion, but it's from God. And it's found in propositional truth. It's not found in ecstatic experiences. It's not found in all these other types of things that we like to try to use. But he says it's from the Word of God 
himself. The gospel is divine, and since it comes from God, you and I must receive it as it's from God. As you read earlier, our passage in Lent, it's so sad and just devastating to hear of our first parents who received all the goodness from God, but yet rejected it. We find many people today, maybe you're here today, and God has something good for you. And He preaches and He reaches out to you, but yet you reject it. You realize it's divine. It comes from God. This is something that we ought to open up our, our arms to, our hearts to, our minds to, and say, Lord, fill me with your good news. Fill me with the gospel, for it is divine. The second thing we see is the gospel is simply justification through faith in Christ. The gospel is not good works. The gospel is not just do the golden rule, but the gospel is something that comes through faith. Look at Galatians chapter 2. Just turn over to chapter 2 or where it might be. Look at verse 15 where he writes, We ourselves are Jews by birth, speaking of him and the Judaizers, and we're not Gentile sinners. Again, a little bit of a of a view of how they viewed themselves. He says in verse 16, and you know that a person is not justified by works. In other words, no one is made right before God by doing good works. We need to understand that. And your good work could be just coming to church, reading the Bible. He says no one is made right by that. But no one is justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because, no, by, because by works of law, no one will be justified. You and I need to understand that the only way that we can ever get into heaven is by trusting in the works of Christ. That's what that word faith. How is it then that I, that I appropriate the gospel. How is it that I make it into heaven? Well, we trust that God is satisfied in the works of Christ on the cross, where he presented himself as that object of wrath for us. For the Bible says that when he stood there, that God took our sins and placed it on Jesus. And when he looked at Jesus, he saw our sins. He saw our vile thoughts. He saw our rebellious attitudes. And he poured his wrath on his son. But not only that, as that he took the good works of Jesus, he took the goodness of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, who is pure and who did please God. And he says, Now I'm going to place it on you. And so when God sees me, he no longer sees my vileness and my rebellion, but he sees the very works of Christ. And it pleased God to do so. And in it, you and I are saved. So the answer to how is it that I may enter into the joy of the Father, how can I get into heaven? It's only by putting my trust, repenting of dead works, recognizing that works will never get me to heaven, but trusting in the works of Christ. That's how you and I can answer that question. For the gospel is through faith in Christ the third thing we need to understand as we looked at Galatians is that the gospel is vital. It's vital. Look at chapter, go back to chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul is looking at them. 
And he writes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Jesus Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. How could you do this? Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He says, don't let them distort it. It's vital to understanding our relationship with God. In Galatians, turn to chapter 4. You may recall this this very important, wonderful passage of Scripture. Galatians chapter 4. I recommend for you to hear it again. Paul says in verse 3 in chapter 4, We were children. And we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And by the way, that describes every human ever born. A child from infancy to the day he dies is enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Hence why we need a Savior. But he says in verse 4, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Look at verse 3 or 5 to redeem those who were under the law, to buy us from that slavery, to release us from that slavery, so that we might receive the adoptions as son. Once we are slaves, but God being rich in His mercy has now made us His very child. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you you are no longer a slave, but a son. And a son, then you are an heir through God, able to inherit the good things. Look at verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature that are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, the gospel is vital. No one could ever have a relationship with God without the gospel. That's why it says in Acts 4.12, there's no other name under heaven given by man which may be saved other than the name of Jesus. The gospel is vital. And the world is selling so many other things. Here we are enslaved. We're, we're, We're not free. And people are trying to sell us cottages and condominiums and all these other things knowing that we never can enjoy them. They're selling not a savior, but they're selling Jesus as just another therapist. That's what you get with the how-to messages. You want to know how to have a good marriage? You want to know how to have good finances? You want to know how you can help your children? And then they give you three things, four things that they just get from Scripture. Jesus is just your good therapist. Just do this and you'll be okay. They sell him as a problem solver. As just take Jesus... Take the Bible and stir it in. You know, pour it in and stir it up, and life is good. And it's not. The gospel is vital. The gospel includes repenting from dead works, which means that you leave everything beside. You see, everything is worthless except Christ alone. But really, what you and I want is we really just want our problems and our lifestyle, and we just want to add Jesus when appropriate, to help us get through those difficult times. The gospel is vital. The fourth thing is the gospel changes us. Without the gospel, we'd remain enslaved in our sin. But the gospel changes us. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 11. 
It says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. What's the yoke of slavery? Of trying to produce our own righteousness. Of trying to be good enough. Of trying to do enough of the day. So when I looked in the mirror, I felt at least a little bit less guilty and not so shameful. Have you had those times in your life where you didn't like the person you were staring at in the mirror? You couldn't even look that person in the eye because of your thoughts, your actions, your deeds. The gospel changes us. It releases us from those day-to-day habits of trying to do what's always right and trying to please God. For we realize that it's not our works that please Him. Look at verse 13. He says, For you were called to freedom, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It changes us because instead of just trying to serve ourselves by trying to make ourselves right and look holy, we now give ourselves to loving and serving others. Our motivation changes. Instead of trying to get little credits for ourselves and make ourselves look good, we desire to love others and serve them. In verse 16 of chapter 5, But I say, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We now can fight the flesh. We can now fight the sin that so easily besets us and drags us down. And in verse 24, he says, And those who belong to Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep step with the Spirit. We see He changes us because He gives us new desires. You see, the law gives us a good standard. But the problem is, is that no one can keep the law. Just think of the Ten Commandments. You may sit here and say, well, I've never stolen. I've never made an idol. I've never cursed God's name. I've never been disobedient to parents. Just take a smile let's go on, right? And you look at my heart and say, look how good I am. And then we get to the last one, do not covet. And then we recognize every time we're watching TV, looking at a magazine and window shop, all we do is covet. All we do is envy, and our hearts betray us. But now he says, I'm going to change your desires and change your life. Three things he changes here that the gospel changes. We see it in chapter 4, verse 13, where he says he changes our relationship now with teachers, with those who share the gospel. When he says, you know it was because of a bodily ailment in chapter 4, verse 13, that I preached the gospel to you. He says, my condition was a trial, but you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God. Paul goes on to say that if it was possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. See, what God helps us understand is that our teachers are there to share with us the word of God. The longer do we see them and perceive them as people who are just always beating us down. Do you ever feel like a preacher was just parking at your sins and just barking all day? you ever feel like someone's always stepping on your toes? And what does it do? It makes us resent it. It makes us hate it. What the Bible says here is that we understand the teachers are the ones who present the gospel. We just see that there's a, there's a unique bond there. It also changes our relationship with God in chapter 3, in verses 11. 
where he says it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 13, though, of chapter 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For his written curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The one who is our God came down and became the curse for us. Why? So that you and I can now have a personal relationship with him. So we can stand before him no longer as disobedient children, no longer as enemies of God, no longer as objects of wrath, but now he calls us sons and daughters. He says, now you can be my heir. You can inherit the good things that I have to give you. No longer are we enemies, but he calls us friends of God and not objects of wrath, but objects of his mercy and his love. God changes the relationship with us through the gospel. And then in chapter 5, we see that it also changes our relationship with each other. Instead of being filled with bitterness and envy and strife and arguing, in 5.22, he tells us that the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. He goes on and also in chapter 6, is our life is different. Because if anyone is caught in a transgression, instead of saying, look and see, I'm better than that guy, instead of taking pot shots at them because of their struggling with the sin, he calls us to restore them. And not only to restore them, but to bear one another's burdens and to love each other and to do good to each other. See, the gospel is vital. It's important. It's the source of God, or comes from God. But here's something you need to understand about justification through the gospel. Justification does not change our eternal nature or our character. That's the work of the Holy Spirit through sanctification. And so you and I need to understand, many people today will distort the gospel and say, well, if you do this thing, then you become sinless, or you become perfection, or you are now inwardly all right. And what the Bible does, what Scripture tells us, is that the gospel, through the gospel, He declares us righteous. One day we will be made righteous. Amen? I look forward to that day. I look forward to the day that I can look in a mirror and see myself and see goodness and see God-pleasing. And no longer shame or guilt find itself in the shadows behind me. But this is what the gospel does. It gives us hope, not only for today, but for that final day. Here's what you need to understand, as Paul has been defending the gospel. is the gospel offers genuine hope to unbelievers of reconciliation. And let me tell you, you can never stand right before God until you get the gospel. If you today have not accepted the gospel as presented through Scripture, let me tell you, you need to make it today, for without it, you are without hope. The gospel also gives us confidence that Christ has paid the penalty for our sins and that we have been forgiven and that God is for us. I love that. We've been studying by that, by the way, that in, in um, Sunday school, Romans 8.1. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And let me tell you, that's what justification is. That's what the gospel is. It tells us not only has God paid the penalty of our sin, but not only we've been forgiven, and now God is for us. 
He's rooting for us. He loves us. He brings us into his embrace. This is the gospel that Paul is defending. This is the gospel that the Galatians need to stand up for. And here we are now, 2,000 years later, you and I also need to cling to that gospel. We need to hold it dear, for the gospel has been distorted. It has been exchanged for a counterfeit. It is something that has disappeared in many churches and many pastors' ministries. In the 19th century, J.C. Ryle, who was a pastor, he gave this warning, which was apropos not only for his time, but it was good for, his, for the time of Galatians, and here we are now, several hundred years later, it's good for today. Let me give them to you. This is real quickly. It's not on the screen. This is what he gave a warning of. He says, if you substitute anything for Christ, if you put in for Christ anything, good works, heritage, you know, your race, your feelings, he says the gospel is totally spoiled. It's no good. It's no longer the gospel. He says, if you add anything to Christ, the gospel ceases to be a pure gospel. And we find many people doing that. I share with you, as growing up, many times it seems like everyone said, yes, say, accept Christ. But if you accept Christ, then this is how you address. This is way how you'll look. This is the music you listen to. This is how a Christian acts and talks and walks. And I learned that to a T, but in the end, the gospel had no power in me. I just conformed to someone's image of the gospel. So when we add to the gospel, it ceases to be pure gospel. And what you and I usually then do is we grab onto the fruit and allow ourselves to look the gospel to see something totally different. He said, if you put anything between a person and Christ, and that person will neglect Christ for that very thing. So never let us point to anything else. Church membership, worship team, music, dress. We don't do those things. If anyone comes in here, I'm just going to point to Christ. Many people question, what's the thing for traditional marriage or for right to life or any of these other cultural things. Point to Christ. Point him to Christ. So many of us were out there like a fisherman. What would you think of a guy if you went fishing out with some, any fishermen here, in here, by the way, anyone like to fish? All right, a few of you. How foolish would it be to go out fishing and then all of a sudden, a guy puts on a wetsuit, jumps out into the boat, and you say, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm going to go clean the fish real quick. I don't want no dirty fish. How silly would that be? But yet, many times, that's what churches do. If you want the gospel, if you want Christ, you need to act this way, talk this way, be this way. We found ourselves many times... How many of you grown up this way? You, anybody grow, grow up as a church and, and you see the missionaries come, especially from Africa or maybe some of the islands, things of that nature, and you see the pictures of them. Well, look at our church here in, in, in Kenya. Look at our church here in the Sahara, you know, Africa. Or look at our, our church here in some native village. And you look at them, and they got churches that look like us. 
They're wearing church clothing donated by churches. And really what they did is they made a good job of making other people American rather than Christians. And by the way, we do that. We've equated American patriotism with Christianity, and we have some weird hybrid out there now that finds itself many times in the counterculture and the political things. But let's not do that. It's the gospel, and it can only be the gospel. You can say amen. That's all right. If you spoil the proportions of Christ's gospel, you spoil its affections. It must be Christ and Christ alone. I love the solas in Christ alone, through faith alone, and the word of God alone. Let's not say it's a little bit of Christ here, and then it's a whole lot of sacraments here. It's a little bit of Christ here, and a whole lot of Christian disciplines. It must be Christ alone. And then he said evangelical religion must be the gospel, the whole gospel, and nothing but the gospel. Let Paul's words echo here at OVBC. We preach Christ crucified. We know nothing else but Christ crucified. For our duty today is to hold on to the precious gospel, to live out its implications, and to share it with others. Let me share with you what Paul shared with them. Cling to the gospel of Christ. Accept no substitutes. I love what Paul, turns, Paul says here as he ends this letter. And let's finish off our last message in, in Galatians chapter 6. Let's look at verse 18. Take your Bibles if you would and let's read that last verse. You can imagine Paul has poured out his heart to these people. I believe there's some frustration. I believe he could be angry. I believe there's a lot of uh, wonderment of what's going on. He's been challenging them. He's rebuking them. But then let's look how he ends it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Brothers, amen. Prayer wish. Paul closes with simple prayer wish. This is what I hope. This is what I wish. This is what I want for you. And he gives them three key words there. We see the words, our, our Lord. You see the words, brothers. And you see the word, amen. Very simply, he says we're all part of it. He's our Lord. My Lord is your Lord. We are brothers together in the Spirit. And amen says we all agree. Paul is saying we're all part of the family of God. For those of us who hold on to the gospel. Paul loved these churches. And he desires for them to come to the full knowledge of God and His revelation. Paul has a confidence that the gospel will win out in this trouble, in this dispute. So too must we cling to that gospel to realize that we're part of the family of God. For those who repented of their works and turned to the works of Christ so that we may not repeat the error of accepting a distorted gospel. What does this mean for us? Let me give you one, just one last thing. What does this mean for OVBC? What does it mean for you that's sitting here? You and I need to cling to the gospel. We need to protect it and defend it. We need not to accept any other counterfeit, whether it comes from outside or whether it's standing in this pulpit. And I have charged you 
to watch me. Because false teaching, teaching does not come from outside, but it comes from where? Within. And so we're to do the hard work of understanding what the Bible says. Not only if it's me or Randy or Dustin, Landon or someone else who may teach, but also you yourself. Let's cling to the gospel. Amen? For in it is the power of salvation. It is the power to save those that are needed, that are in need. Then let me give you this last one because this has been on my heart. It's my fault. I went and got a missionary book on the study of life of William Carey. I don't know if you heard of William Carey. Father of the modern mission movement. And anytime I read these biographies, they, they enthrall me with their spirit and convict me also with their dedication. Here's where I'm going to. It does us no good if you and I just cling to the Spirit and stay in some type of holy huddle. You and I are called to pass the gospel to others. So not only am I asking you to cling to it and defend it, but I am charging you today the great commission that was given to us 2,000 years to share that gospel. I believe we've been guilty of holding on to the ball and not going forward. This is heavy on my heart, so be praying. Praying for me, pray for yourselves. If the gospel is vital, if it is from God, and if it is pure, if it's the life-changing message, then we cannot keep it to ourselves, either corporately or individually in your neighborhoods, in your workplace, and in your family. We must share the gospel that which is worth dying for is worth sharing. Amen? And so I would challenge you as we close here, cling to the gospel and pray, how can I share the gospel? In this church, we can do it two or three different ways. One is we send. We send our missionaries out to those places to share the gospel where we cannot go. For those that are left here, not only do we share in our giving, we pray for them but we do the work that God has called us in our communities and in your communities. May you do that today. And Father, may we see the gospel of vital importance. May we cling to it as a source of God. Father, it is so devastating and an indictment on us is that there are people with false, distorted, counterfeit gospels who are more faithful in clinging to it and sharing it with others than we are with the genuine thing. And Lord, that should not be so. Convict us of that. Send your Holy Spirit to just give us that desire to give our own lives as Paul and the Galatians were willing to do for each other. Lord, we ought to take that gospel, cling to it, hold to it, defend it, know it, understand it, and then Lord, pass it on to others. Lord, give us that desire. Give us just an insatiable taste to do so. And may it not be quenched until we do so. Let all lips, let everyone praise your name, for that's what true worship is. We ask for you to just be with us. Thank you for this letter. Let us not forget it as we close its pages and move on, but may it be continue to do the work in our hearts that you have decreed beforehand. And all of God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. 
If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.